0: Hi, my name is Adam, and I've never seen a dead body. I mean, stand by me.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fine All Watches. My name is Johnny. I'm Bridget. And this is the show where we show strangers, friends, family, movies they should have seen a long, long time ago. And today we are looking at 1986's coming-of-age classic, Stand By Me. Adam, why have you not stood by me?
0: <laughs> uh, Why have I not stood by you? I mean, in life, I stand by you, 100%. You're my ride-or-die, Johnny, I swear. Um, Thanks, <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know. I think this is one of those things where it came out before uh, my existence. So that's naturally the one hurdle that you have to get over is when a movie comes out before you exist. Um, but then by the time I would have been old enough or probably should have seen this, it was such a part of popular culture that it's one of those movies where I again feel like I know a lot of the movie going in, just not the order or some of the maybe bigger moments but like i know a ton of the actors i know the basic premise uh, and so I, I think it's you know once once you know enough of it it became one of those like i'm not gonna watch it i could watch a thing i don't know anything about or a thing that i already know that i love rather than something that i know a lot about people say it's good but eh, fine <laughs> and so i think passed on it as a result the way i have with so many other movies from before my time just like i already i already get it i get it i could reference it in casual conversation i don't need to see it
1: right you mentioned like the end of the movie at the top so i don't know if we even need to do (laughs)
0: this well i mean yeah but the whole point is like the journey they go on sure of course of course keeper sutherland's like hey do you want to see a dead body right i think that's the i think that's the the jumping off point for the story and the adventure is Hey, we want it. We're just a bunch of kids, and we're gonna go look at a dead body. That may be the end, sure, but that's I think the point, at least, is how I understood it anyway.
1: Right. I mean, really, they should just call this morbid curiosity, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a really great name for it's it. It's a great
1: name for this movie. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, Bridget, what is your history with this classic?
2: Um, I probably saw it for the first time in middle school. And just loved it. And yeah, I don't know. Like it's a movie that my family loves. Like my brother loves it. My mom loves it. It's like something we would rent every once in a while. Like, let's watch Stand By Me. I don't know. It just, just it, a
0: fun family jaunt. Yeah. Just,
2: <laughs> really. Um always enjoyed it. I haven't watched it probably in a few years. I think the last time I watched it I was showing it to someone. I was making my sister Veronica watch it. I was like, "What do you mean you haven't seen this?" And <laughs> so and she was probably she was probably in middle school at that point. So, yeah. Excited to share it with you, Adam. I hope even though it seems like you know a bit of the beats that mm-hmm. you'll still like it. I have a feeling it'll it'll be a home run for you.
0: Okay. What about you, Johnny? What is your yeah. familiarity with
1: it? Uh, I don't know if this was quite in circulation early on in the Manningham household, mainly because I think there's some content in here that's not great to show like a youngster right off the bat, particularly mm-hmm. a dead body, <laughs> but it is it it became one that was constantly – uh talked about later on and put on if it was on TV, TBS, what have you.
0: Yeah, the edited Um, family friendly version.
1: Correct, yeah. I mean there's some cuss words and stuff like that here and there aren't great, but um yeah, kinda to Bridget's point, it kind of just it's one of those like wholesome chicken soup for the soul type of movies that uh you just want to watch if you're kind of in a shitty mood. It definitely tackles some dark shit but i think on the whole the movie's very light and digestible and uh heartwarming i love this movie because for all the reasons that i love any other movie with kids on adventures the goonies uh, sandlot monster squad short circuit squad, shorts, fuck me um <laughs> you almost had me say that too um uh,
0: i wanted it so badly <laughs>
1: Cut real quick. I just pulled the cord out of my uh, my microphone.
0: That's how angry you were at the thought of liking <laughs> short circuit. <laughs> yeah,
1: my computer just short circuited. <laughs> Not back. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. No worries. The Goonies um, is one that I love. Now this movie does come out after The Goonies. It comes out after E.T. It comes out some of these uh, comes out after long after you know like Little Rascals and other movies where. The, the camera is brought down to knee level and the adventure is pretty much at that uh, perspective mm. throughout. Um, and I think you get a lot of that here. You can probably account the adults in this movie like on your own hand. like there's It's mostly kids and teenagers in this movie. I love it because it has a lot of young actors in it that you see later on become successful. It's very much, it's like this and The Outsiders that really are like, the rap hack of young kids who go on to be successful. Mm-hmm. Some would have been more successful if they had uh, lived beyond their years, um, but we'll get more into that later mm-hmm. on with one particular cast member. Yeah, I just, I, I I adore this movie. It's great. The soundtrack is a knee slapper, um, a toe tapper, excuse me. Um, <laughs> the soundtrack is hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> gotta hear this weird Al track. It's great. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Again, I think what British said is going to be a home run for you. I think this is right up your alley. And I think this is the first Stephen King movie that we're doing.
0: Okay, yeah, I was going to say, because in my head, I thought this is based on Stephen King, right? And then you guys are like, it's yeah. fun and it's light and it's heartwarming and it's charming and the kids are just a delight. And I'm like, is this, is this not based on a Stephen King? Because no, it seems is. like a completely different genre for him.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, know. if This is when he got sober, then like went back or whatever. I don't know what the, what the reason why this one little lighthearted tale is amongst is uh, darker tales. But um, and it's not even I mean, like a book. It, it's like a novella or some shit it, like that, right? It's a, a novella. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's a it's a it's a shorter work of his. And so the novella is actually titled "The Body." I mean, we're talking up like it's lighthearted. It's very wholesome. It makes you feel good. But the, the movie does have dark elements, which will yeah. I think you'll you'll get it is has a Stephen King tone to it uh, immediately, without some of the more supernatural elements that you associate with a King novel. Like telekinesis. Yeah, they're not they're not taking Christine down to see the body. Yeah. But it is a king work and that king flavor is yeah, suffused throughout the, the movie
1: the setting is very much king it's like small town yeah. new england i don't even know what's in new england but it's it feels that way
0: a lot of your train tracks
1: uh, correct wooded,
0: wooded areas uh, right just in my head from what clips or screenshots or trailers i've seen or just it being aped in you know the simpsons or family guy or some other piece of pop culture right i
1: i think to what bridget was saying is that it where other movies may begin to talk about the themes in this movie in a particular exchange of dialogue and then end quickly because it gets too heavy and goes to something else, this kind of lingers more on those moments and tackles, like, some real shit. But, again, it's mostly spread across a canvas that's really light in flavor, so.
3: Mm. Okay.
1: And this is Rob Reiner directed this. So no, oh, I did is, not know
0: that.
1: Yes. So this is, I believe, our second or third Rob Reiner movie.
0: I think just the second. Because princess... we just have, we just had Princess Bride, I believe. Yeah. We might have some others on our list, but I think this is the only one we've tackled so far on the show.
1: Right, right. So maybe just quickly, just a one-two punch as far as like favorite Stephen King adaptations, favorite Rob Reiner movies. What kind of sticks out to you?
0: So as a person who, you know, I've talked about this before, I'm not really a big horror genre type person, so that kind of always took Stephen King's uh, based on out of my wheelhouse, per se. Um, So there's not a ton that I think, like, I'd have to look at the list to know what I have seen or what I haven't seen. The one that immediately jumps out is I saw, it chapter one, the most recent It, but then didn't see chapter two just because like I, I missed it at the theater and have yet to go back to it. So clearly not a uh, a thing that drew me in enough. And again, because of how prolific his work is, I think it's another situation of I knew a lot about the premises and plots of these movies before I ever was able to even think about seeing them. And so because, like, this movie where I'm just, like, I, I know so much about it, it, it never became a thing where I wanted to, like, go through and actually, like, watch it.
1: Gotcha. Now, as far as, like, the non-horror stuff, just real quickly, like, Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile. I've seen Shawshank,
0: it, and, you know, it's amazing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've seen the Green Mile again I like I've seen so many clips from it and I know right. the a lot of the stuff from it so I I'm, I'm hard pressed to remember like did I watch that one time on TV because it started at you know midnight and I was looking for something to I was looking for a reason not to go to sleep and so I sat through it like I don't I don't remember
1: you would know you'd be sitting in front of the TV till midnight the next day The movies like 3 yeah. and a half hours long let alone broken up with fucking ads on TV
0: Yeah so yeah I don't I don't I don't know I don't think, maybe I haven't then. I've seen The Shining. I don't really remember it very well. I probably just watched it once and was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, But I know that it's not one that he likes of his, he doesn't like most of his adaptations to be honest, but um, I'm trying to think of what, I watched like a collection of short stories at one point, and I don't remember what it was called. I feel like there was a cat involved in in some way, shape, or form.
1: There's Always a Cat, a Stephen King movie.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think. It was like a... Oh, it's Cat's Eye, which is written by Stephen King, the movie. It's just three short stories, and I believe that is the one that I saw, just like randomly on a friend's house on HBO one night.
3: <laughs>
1: gotcha. Well, like,
0: I've never seen Pet Cemetery. I've never seen...
1: I think we have Misery on the list, but I'm not sure if you had seen that or not. No, not seen that. Okay, that's uh, definitely a must-watch. And that's not really horror. That's just bonkers
0: yeah uh you mentioned lawnmower man last week i haven't seen that that looks like it's loosely based on a short story. i'm just looking at the wikipedia of like adaptations right yeah nothing none of the more recent stuff like the mist or the john cusack 1408 never seen a version of carrie i didn't watch the dark tower adaptation that came out i've never seen the stand i didn't watch dr sleep the like the sequel yep to um to the shining that came out a couple years ago so like it's just one of those things kujo same thing like it's just it never the scarier stuff never spoke to me in any way and then because i knew so much about them already it was like okay it's it's fine i don't have to go see these sure and no one's ever been like dude no we're gonna sit down like we're going to watch it outside of like randomly watching cat's eye or uh you know something else where i'm just like okay fine whatever Uh, It would really take somebody being like, no, we're going to watch this in order for me to have seen something from this or something of his work. But pivoting to the other question you asked about uh, Rob Reiner, definitely loved Princess Bride, which is the movie he does right after this. When Harry Met Sally is amazing. He also directed Misery, which you just mentioned, but again, have not seen that. Still haven't seen The American President, even though I talked about it being my mom's favorite movie. Uh,
1: (laughs) It wasn't Basic Instinct, right?
0: (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. Spinal Tap is is amazing. I glossed right over that one. Um, But that one's great. And then I haven't seen anything new that he's done. Like, I didn't see The Bucket List or the LBJ movie he did. So, nothing. Yeah, uh,
1: I mean, he is really his time... In the director seat, for sure, at least the golden era was like the 80s, like early 90s, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mid-80s to mid-90s, like a 10-year period of just him doing wonderful things. I mean, I like him as an actor, too. He's been in a lot of stuff, and he's always like a good bit player in that. And I'm always a fan whenever he's a part of like a Mel Brooks documentary because his dad and Mel were, you know, partners in a good comedy duo, so... I always like his contributions to that and talking about, like, the business because he's been around it for so long. But it, I've only seen just, like, a handful of his movies. But I've loved every single one that I've seen. So knowing that he did this and knowing that it's not necessarily as grim or as horror-adjacent as I maybe thought going in is is making me more excited than I think I was before we started.
1: So that's good. 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 As far as, like, cast members, people in the movie, do you have any expectations uh, with for anyone in the movie?
0: So I know, off the top of my head, I knew Kiefer Sutherland is, like, the big bully, I think, who's the one who, like, wants them to see the dead body. Maybe he killed them. I don't really know. But he's, like, an older teenager, whereas, like, these guys are probably tweens, maybe. Um, and I know Jerry O'Connell. I think it's Jerry O'Connell. One of the O'Connells uh, yes. is in this And then based on your anecdote about a person dying, I do remember that River Phoenix is in this as well. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, So those are the – I know that there's I think four boys, right? Like the main crew of four. I'm sure I'll recognize them as well. But offhand, I can only think of the two with Keeper being the – not part of their little foursome.
1: I will tell you, you will not recognize Jerry O'Connell.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, maybe will, because you because maybe because you're looking
1: it. Yeah. at oh like, okay, you have, okay.
0: Yeah, like i I know he's a, a pudgier young lad. Okay, <laughs> uh, <husky>. gotcha.
1: <laughs> even when I was kind of going tonight, I was like, that's right, he is in it. And I'm like, wait a minute, he's not in that fucking movie. I'm like, oh he yeah. is in this fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, there's uh it's it's got a good little cast in it for sure. Do you know who narrates this by chance? No, I didn't even know there was a narration. Okay, there is. Uh it's not prevalent throughout the movie uh maybe it's not like a scorsese or like a goodfellas where it's like all over the place but
0: i'm assuming uh, it's like a sandlot kind of bookend thing where it's like here's me one of these kids as an adult telling you about the time i saw a dead body
1: yeah it's it the voice opens up the chapters of the movie per se okay but uh it is it is someone of note okay and we have seen this individual on the show before
0: okay it's johnny five isn't it (laughs) dead buddy. <laughs> I need time to
1: laugh and so get away from that from last week so fast can we get like a year away from this movie already
2: I it does feel like it's been a while since we recorded I had to think for a moment I was like what movie did we do and then I flipped back in my notebook I was like <gasps> dropped it <laughs>
1: And not to get off track, but I even mentioned because I was with my brother-in-law last week, and he's like, you didn't see that movie? He's like, Stephanie. And I'm like, dude, get on the next plane out of Florida. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Stephanie, the whole thing.
0: Yeah. But like, anyways. I'm, I'm getting you divorced from this family. I don't know how, but I'm doing it. If you, <laughs> you ever bring hey. that movie up to me again? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so back to Stand By Me. I am excited. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I... uh. I do, you know, it is one of those things where I know a lot about it, but I don't think that'll hinder the enjoyment of it, because there's no context to any of it. It's just, I've maybe seen one scene, I'll probably remember it in the moment, but I couldn't place it if it's at the beginning or at the end. Um, But, like, I know I've seen clips, I've seen, you know, oh, you have to see this iconic moment, kind of like, I've seen a lot of stuff from it, but... It's not put in any kind of order, it has no bearing on anything, so to put it all into context and the fact that it's not quite the movie I expected before we started recording this uh, makes me much more excited for what the end result would be. And I feel like if 10 years ago someone was like, dude, it's it's not a Stephen King movie per se, like get that concept out of your head and just go in not expecting that, I think you'll like it a lot more than you think you will.
1: Gotcha. And i was quickly, Bridget, you said, like, the last, when was the last time you said you saw it? Maybe with your sister?
2: Yeah, probably, like, five or six years ago. Something was going on. She, like, had to, like, be at my apartment for some reason. I was like, what are we gonna do? Let's order a pizza. Let's watch a movie. You've never seen Stand By Me? So, that, (laughs) that's the last time. So, it's been a, a while.
1: Okay, gotcha. Now, without giving anything too away, it, does this rank pretty high up as far as like kids on adventures type of movies? Because I know me and you both kinda like that shit. Yeah, it's that's just... <laughs> I don't know what genre you would want to call it, but
2: uh yeah. Uh coming of age in extraordinary circumstances. <laughs> uh it ranks pretty high. Um okay. and I think this movie is so successful because it can you can see it when you're the age of the the main characters in the story and have it connect and be like yes this rings true and you can continue to watch it as you grow older and keep getting things from it but still have the movie ring true if that makes sense yeah you know it just it ages really well in a way that you know a movie like the goonies holds a lot of nostalgic value but doesn't necessarily it's not going to grow with you if that makes sense
1: I want to talk about related to that, and we'll talk about it uh, after the show. But I don't know from either of you, any last thoughts before we jump into it? No, nothing from me. All right, Adam, then what do you have to say for yourself?
0: Fine, I'll watch it.
3: so darling, darling, stand by me, oh, stand by me, oh, stand, stand by me, stand by me.
1: Okay, we are back. We just finished watching Stand By Me. Adam, you have never seen Stand By Me. You've stood by me from what you told me. <laughs> do you stand with this movie?
0: Uh yeah, I do. I think I think this movie really would have fucked me up if I saw it in middle school. Like if I was 12 <laughs> or 13, I think this would have this would have hit me like a ton of bricks, I think. Um as now as an adult, it's it's good. I don't know that it I just I don't feel like i I just feel kind of bland about it it's good i liked it i liked watching it but i'm not like oh my god what a classic or like oh my god this is amazing it's just like it it's good i'm trying to like think it through and i feel like it's just yeah it's just good i don't (laughs) i don't don't know how else to like put a spin on that or anything yeah it's it's good
1: Alright, well, we'll let you sit on it. I need been standing for the last 90 minutes.
2: Yeah, I'm yeah,
1: um,
0: standing by the TV,
2: watching. Yes, sit with us. Sit with you?
1: us, please. Bridget, how is it returning?
2: Oh, fantastic. Even better than before. was really keyed into all four of the lead performances and just like, God, they're all really good.
3: Mm-hmm. They're all yeah.
2: bringing something, but... Each of them has their moments, but obviously River Phoenix and Will Wheaton are are the standout performances. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Just loved it. How about you, Johnny?
1: Um I Yes. Yeah, it's, it's I it's a classic to me. That'll be that'll never change. And I know we mentioned this before we broke, but I feel like I saw a much longer version of this movie.
3: <laughs> it's just like
1: it's so quick yeah um i don't know what made me perceive it in the past to be longer but yeah i still very much enjoyed the leads are great like you said each one gets their moment i was gonna say in the sun not the sun really most likely the shade uh because <laughs> they. But it was had...
0: too hot remember so there was they were correct. in the sun for quite a bit of it
1: correct uh some mental shade They all of them have uh, deeply rooted problems more than others, some more than others. But, Um, yeah, I mean, now thinking about it now, it's like now I know why it wasn't in the circulation of the ETs and goonies and stuff. Because you got the shits and the fucks and the cockknockers and whatever else
4: (laughs) is in the the, movie. The
1: guns and the the cigarettes and the titties and all that shit talk. But, um. So yeah, I I was surprised. I didn't look it up, but I'm I'm imagining
0: this was R because yes. I don't think it. Okay. This wasn't one of those pushing the envelopes of PG thirteen because it had just come out, kind of kind of no, situations.
2: No, it's it's I because I remember when I showed it to my sister, her being like, "It's R. am like, "It's fine."
0: <laughs> you can close your eyes. Mom, three
2: parts, mom loves this PG. movie too. It's fine. Yeah.
1: It's like move um, your thumb. What's that letter?
2: Yeah. <laughs> If you squint, it's a G. Don't worry
1: about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I still very much enjoy it. I enjoy it uh, for those reasons, too. It being sort of uncensored look at the kids the way they would have talked and smoking cigarettes and all that shit, because that's what they were doing. Yeah, just a delightful, small movie with heavy themes that like, again, still feels fairly light mm-hmm. after it's all said and done. It's
2: It's accessible. And I think part of the reason that the movie looking back on it feels longer is it makes quick work of giving you a lot of backstory and establishing a lot of deeply held relationships very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. you understand the dynamic between the four boys, you get a sense of their their home lives, where they're coming from and you know just their relationships with each other like the Chris and Gordy relationship it just very quickly without having to give you a lot of background just snippets and snapshots you get a very detailed picture and sort of immediately understand what their lives are like but it doesn't take a lot of time to do it realistically
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, right. they they tell you right off the bat that he's like in the narration, which Richard Dreyfuss, that was a nice surprise. But they tell you like, oh, he was my best friend. And then they show you that like, oh, that wasn't just words. That was they were each other's confidant. They were, you know, leaning on each other and supporting each other. And anytime one of them was clearly upset, the other one knew it and could tell it wasn't just like a dismissive. You know, it wasn't like, oh, we're all best friends. We're four best friend boys hanging out in our treehouse, smoking cigarettes and looking at. Detective magazines, like no, this is a real <laughs> like. These two are in it, you know, for for the long haul kind of friendship, which was nice to to see play out very quickly, like you said.
1: Right, and it it very much mirrored, uh, his brother, the relationship that he had with his brother, which again his his uh, his friend Chris sort of uh filled that void per se. Because mm-hmm. it does, they're both. I like the John Cusack stuff it did kind of feel a little too perfect of a big brother situation. I don't know how to say it, but it just seemed a little too, uh, nice. I don't, I can't find the right verbiage, but it just like, for it's a little too
2: pat. I'm, like correct. it's just too. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's very
0: wholesome. You know, it's, it's very
1: wholesome, but like to a fault, I think a bit well, where yeah, like,
0: it's a, it's a stereotypical look at the, like the quarterback of the 1950s high school football team of, it's prim and pristine and it's proper and it's clean cut and clean shaven. And he's dating the, the cheerleader, the head cheerleader. Like it all seems like it's one of those like cookie cutter fifties billboards as it were.
3: Right.
1: We obviously don't spend too much time with that relationship, but the one with Chris has just a little more meat to it and is a little more dynamic and there's a little more going on there intention. Yeah. Obviously there was like never any tension with the brother that we ever saw. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so wasn't Kiefer Sutherland talking about the body?
0: No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was at the end, but not not at the <laughs> beginning. <laughs>
1: right. What do you think of kind of like that reveal of him? I I love the whole like backstory of how he found to be like under the porch and stuff. It just it obviously fits the character at the end of the movie even more so. But um, how'd you like how the movie sort of opened up?
0: It took me a little bit to get invested just because and this isn't the movie's fault. Um it's the timing in which I'm watching it, where like I've seen the Goonies so many times that when all four kids kind of got introduced, it was like, oh okay, Vern is chunk and uh mouth is mouth. Like Cory feldman's <laughs> just the same kid in both movies. Um and you know, Chris is kind of like an amalgamation and Gordy's basically like the Sean Astin character. So, like, they felt very um, familiar, like, familiar like archetypes, homages, really. Because they're only coming out, like, a year apart, I think. Like, I think Goonies is, what, like, 85, and this is 86. So, you know. Right, and,
1: and I don't think one is Ape and the other. It's just, like, the scripts no. are probably already written or whatever. So, it just
0: a yeah, coincidence correct. more than anything. Yeah, but it's just one of those things where, like, I've seen one of them way you know, a bunch of times, whereas I'm watching this for the first time. And so, it took me a little bit to get into it. Especially like with the porch scene, the way you're talking, like that very much felt like Chunk at the pizza parlor, you know, with the seeing the car chase speed by. Like he comes running in, he's a mile a minute trying to tell them this crazy, amazing thing that he saw. And they're just like, Shut up, you idiot. We hate you. You're fat. Like we don't want to hear from you. We're singing this song and we're in your face about it. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, those things felt very sad. And I was like, Oh no, am I just going to kind of see the same movie, but with less? fantasy elements and more like dead bodies (laughs) uh you know less skeletons more flesh on the dead bodies i guess as it were
1: yeah Um, no booby traps in this one
0: yeah exactly so it, it kind of felt a little weird at the beginning just because it it did feel so familiar uh both from other things i could compare it to and just like knowing the generic outline of the movie i never really got invested as a result to Like to Vern or to Corey Feldman, Teddy, just because I'm like, "Eh, I'm not really digging the and I'm glad that they weren't the focus of it. Like the focus, as you guys said, is is Gordy and Chris. And that dynamic was so good that it was fine. Uh, It's just the other two kind of were just like, all right, fine, you know. eh." So it took me a little bit to like get into it. But once they kind of got onto the adventure part of it, all that kind of went away and I was I was more invested in the story as a result. But the beginning, while it is throwing a lot at you, doesn't really let any of that settle. So it, it takes some time, for me at least, to get on this movie's wavelength.
1: Did you at least buy into the camaraderie of this group pretty quickly? Did it feel natural? Oh, did yeah. It, did, did it feel lived in? Did it feel like these guys knew each other for as long as they are insinuating?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, they have a million inside jokes, and they've got their own, like, Secret knocks and Secret Handshakes and, you know, all these other, there's town lore that they all are are in on. So, yeah, it absolutely feels real and lived in outside of the characteristics of other similar characters in similar kid-style movies. That was really the only, I think that was the biggest hurdle, was that this is familiar to other things. And it's not just other things that came 20 years later. Like, it's something that came out at the same time, actually before. So it was just like a little weird to be like, OK, I kind of like if I was in 1986 to be like, wait, is this Goonies? Because like I just saw that like I, you know, we just rented it. It's I have it on VHS at home because VCRs exist now.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the two, Chris and Gordy, are the serious ones. You know, they're not the one cutting tension with jokes. And again, the two pieces of humor, kind of, you have, like, the really, like, sloppy, fat, silly, physical humor, and then you have, like, the more verbal, mm-hmm. uh, smart-ass type that you have from uh, the other kid that I wrote, what was it? Teddy, excuse me. Teddy, yeah. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. Just Yeah, what is what was it like for you, Bridget? Same thing? Like, do you have that same feeling about with the kids?
2: Um, a little bit. I mean, part of it is there's some... Some just like bigger, like archetyping of, you know, what kind of dynamic character elements do you need to have a compelling story? You need these different kind of personalities to bounce off of one another. It doesn't bother me as much because this is the adventure is kind of less central to the story than just sort of the snapshot. We're getting a snapshot of these boys relationship at this specific moment in time yeah and the specific moment they happen to be go looking for another dead kid's body, but it's never like totally fantastical. They each have their moments of kind of high and low, except for maybe Vern is always kind of played for laughs, but he's also never, Vern never, you never see Vern have a crumble. Like, Teddy has that moment about his father. Mm -hmm. Chris and Gordy have their moments of crying. Vern is just kind of like, shit, I lost the comb! And that's that's it. You know what I mean? Like, he's... So you never see him kind of take that dip, so you don't get the kind of payoff, and he has a more high moment, I guess. I don't know. So... it's there and it it isn't for me. But this, to me, is a strong, like, I hold this movie more in my heart than I do say The Goonies. So, for me, I'm like, oh, you're a lot like Teddy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's my like, the watermark, the threshold for me.
0: Yeah, I think it goes to what order you watch things in. And this is true any time we watch a movie on the show is, what else have you seen that has informed your opinion of this thing you're now watching for the first time? And everyone's going to bring biases in and you might be hearing this and being like well that's stupid like they're different characters it's a different movie like they're not the same at all but just something about the delivery and granted they're kid actors one of them is literally the same in both in both movies um so it was just it was just like an easy line to draw that kind of took my mind out of the movie as opposed to being hyper focused on the movie itself yeah. so it's it's not a bad thing per se uh, and it I don't think it ruined my enjoyment because again I liked it overall anyway uh, it was just something that was a little hard to get into gear so to speak with this movie
1: right i mean like these movies if they were both like cakes they both had the same frosting really the, like the outward appearance looks exactly the same for the most part but like yeah. the cake itself is completely different it's like the goonies is like the inverse of this where the Goonies is all about the physical adventure. This is like a mental adventure, really. I mean, Uh sure, they dodge a train and they got to take leeches off their balls and shit like that, but... um, Which is one horrifying scene for me to watch as a kid. I thought that was... (laughs) Adam,
2: is that the Um, part that would have fucked you up mentally as a 12-year-old?
0: No, no. (laughs) No, it's... I mean, it might have. Uh, In addition to... (laughs) Removing the slimy thing from such a delicate area, and then just having your hand covered in blood would definitely uh, make me not want to go pond swimming
1: (laughs) any time soon. (laughs) But yeah, like, as a kid, like, your mind just races seeing that. You're like, what happened? What happened? Is it gone? Did, like, the (laughs) damn thing, like... like? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. As an adult, I'm like, just a leech, you know what I mean? I know what happened, but it's like, as a kid, uh, you have quite an imagination of what could possibly happen to poor Gordy, so...
0: I mean... I don't think it necessarily looked the same way it did on his arm when it, you know, when he looked into his his shorts there. Yeah. Um, So I imagine that would give me quite the scare. (laughs) (laughs) The most horror element of this is...
1: (laughs) Right. What do you think about the older group of characters in this movie? Obviously, we don't spend a ton of time with them, but Keeper Sullivan, obviously the strong personality in that group.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're... At at its core, they're just 50s greasers. Like, they're just, you know, street toughs who, at the end of the day, like, their their biggest crime is, like, stealing a Yoohoo from the corner store. Like, you know, like, I don't think the – they don't strike me as, like, the murdering type or the grand larceny type. Like, even the two that supposedly stole a car are just like, oh, jeez, we shouldn't have stole that car. I don't even know. Like, all right, guys, come on. Yeah. Man up a little bit. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, they're just like generic 50s street toughs who uh, it's nice when they get theirs, uh, which, you know, they get a little bit of at the end. They kind of get put in their place a bit, which is always nice to see whenever a a gang of ruffians from that time period gets either like, you know, put in their place by one of their peers or like when the, you know, the shopkeep isn't going to put up with no more guff and like pulls a shotgun on them or something like, you know, somehow they get theirs. And that's always nice to see. But there's nothing really to it. I didn't feel particularly threatened by any of them mostly i didn't really think any of the kids weren't going to make it out of it i mean i know at least two of them have to make it out of this scenario given one of them is the narrator and the other one is the name on the newspaper that the narrator looks at in the future so i know that at least two of them are going to make it out so i didn't think there was any danger from the the group at the end and cutting back to them and the will they or won't they tell the secret was Nothing really too interesting. Yeah, you know, like oh, we got to cut to the pool hall. We got to cut to the fishing hole. We got to cut to them getting uh tattoo, not tattoos, but getting uh carved cobras (laughs) into their skin. You know, it didn't it didn't really add anything to the story. I would have probably liked to see more adventury shenanigans from the kids rather than the lives of keeping secrets as a fifties greaser. I (laughs) guess it didn't seem like it did anything in the grand scheme. Yeah, you could have just had one scene where they're like, "All right, well, let's go. Like we've told you now and we're going to we're going to go." And you get there there the same way. Like they didn't need more than a handful of scenes and I feel like there's just probably one or two too many.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is more than what's needed cuz all those scenes, they don't really progress the story as they do sort of just like hammer home that Kiefer Sutherland's character is completely different from the other ones. where the other ones are like probably pretty nice kids. And he's, like, a total demon seed for the most part. At least he pretends to be. But I gotta say, like, I liked his performance in this. He just, he has the look. It feels like he's in a different movie, like, in a different group of people. Like I said, because he's, he's so different from the other guys in that group. But I think for the amount of screen time that he has, he does a great job with what he's handed to do. Where oh, yeah, I think he'd... It, it could have came off as cheesy or hammy or whatever, but he... It seems pretty legit. Like this guy is a a, a top ass.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he nails it in terms of being the ringleader and the the head greaser of this group. But at the end of the day, all he did was pull a switchblade and make a kid kiss the pavement like gently, <laughs> not not curb stomp or
1: anything. Oh like right, that, but... I mean, but that's all screenplay. It's like shit he had to do. I'm just saying. Oh, like, I know. Like, like I'm just saying. The acting and yeah.
0: Oh no, the acting's the acting's great. Like I said, he nails the he nails the role. But in terms of the story and what those guys are there to do, they're just kind of like big wussies, really, and uh, they don't add anything to the kid's story, really. Other than the saddest moment at the beginning was when uh, Gordy got his brother's hat taken away. That's devastating. I want to know if he got it back. I hope he did. That's really sad for him. It's like the memento that they show you he gets from his brother seemingly last minute of like this lucky hat and he gets it taken away from him right there at the beginning of the movie that was that was like the meanest thing the bullies did in, <laughs> to yeah. me at least.
2: uh rob reiner has said he definitively does not get the hat back
0: oh that's so much sadder <laughs>
2: <laughs> like so part of you know the characterization of you know the the dime store hoods is you know they'll take the hat just to take it not because they want it so literally he's like in my mind like he told kiefer sutherland and the the guy who was playing eyeball you know you're gonna take the hat and i want you to imagine as soon as you turn the corner you just put it in a fucking trash can that's how much you don't give a shit
0: yeah you threw it in the sewer you you know burned it or threw it off a you know, ledge or a cliff or whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so much sadder. I figured that was the case because I never saw one of them wearing it ever again. Uh, Where I feel like in other movies, that would be their trophy of like, look, we still got your hat, kid. Yeah,
2: a lesser movie would put the hat like in the corner of Richard Dreyfus's office. Like he made it, he got it back. You know what I mean?
1: I was just thinking about that if it was sitting somewhere in the office or whatever, but.
2: You know, but like, it just is like, nope.
1: Like that's a Stephen King
2: Move, like move of like, you're gonna lose the hat and you're not gonna fucking get it back, and it's mm-hmm. gonna fucking suck.
1: Yeah, and your best yeah. friend's gonna get stabbed.
2: Yeah. To death. In the, yeah, to <laughs> death at a fast food restaurant, and that's how yeah. we're gonna end this movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. like in a in a worse movie, part of the standoff with the gun at the yeah. end would end with and give me back my hat. Yes! <sighs> yeah. No, you didn't all of a sudden the, the leech didn't make you grow a huge pear. alright? <laughs> you, yeah. You're not saying that. Stop it. Right, so yeah. I'm glad it didn't show up again, but it's devastating to know that he didn't get it back because that's a memento from his brother. And that's got to be, like, amongst all the other shit that that kid is going through, that's also got to just be a real kick in the, the leech area. <laughs>
2: <laughs> kick in the leech.
1: Yeah. Um, so the movie for me... Most memorably outside of the heavy themes is the number of tiny little set pieces and scenes that are in this movie. And there's a few memorable ones. We got one in a junkyard, there's one on a train track. We have the pie eating scene. Um, obviously the discovery of the dead body. Um, what is one that you sort of resonated with or I mean it doesn't resonate with, but you know, which one did you enjoy the most?
0: Any of the like set pieces where they're just kind of sitting and just being close friends. Like I like the junkyard when they're all just shooting the shit. And I think it's, I think it's a narration at that point that was just like, we didn't realize it, but like, this was the best moment. We were just kids doing whatever kids wanted to do. Like no responsibilities. Like we had each other and like, that was all we needed. Like there's some kind of moment there, I think in the junkyard that was really nice. And then When they're kind of taking turns, keeping watch in the woods, like the night that they spend in the woods. right? Just having like each get their own little thing of Teddy's scared a little bit. So he's doing this, um, pretending I'm a soldier keeping watch and I'm kind of doing my own narration. And then obviously Vern comes in and he's just like spinning at every single leaf that twitches and. Yeah. I was really afraid he was going to shoot one of his friends. or
1: <laughs> Yeah, he's holding the gun like an old lady or whatever.
0: Yeah, or like kill a, an innocent cute rabbit or something, and maybe that'll be the moment he breaks or something. He oh,
1: yeah. Something. Well, I liked when the frog would just like ribbit, and he just like points the gun somewhere. It's like ribbit, and he just moves it. Can <laughs> you shoot yeah. the fucking frog.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. But then like we get a couple of good exchanges with like Chris and, and Gordy, which are really nice. And so anytime there's like those little moments between the two where, My favorite, I mean, the train was cool, but again, I think just the nature of knowing the two make it out. I didn't think anyone was going to die. I didn't think anyone was going to fall off the tracks. It didn't seem like that was the type of movie that we were getting of like, oh, man, somebody might not make it out of this. I I figured everybody probably would, given the movie gives away two of them, at least. Um, So any of the things where it's like, oh, are they going to get hit by the train? No, I know they're not. kind of just get me to that point I guess or see what happens I think I like the junkyard in the woods the the most
1: gotcha what about you Bridget
2: my favorite is basically any of the scenes between Chris and Gordy where they fall back whether it's the first one where they're walking and he can tell that Gordy's kind of quiet and he's like and Gordy asks him like do you think I'm weird And they have this kind of back and forth where Mm -hmm. Chris is basically like saying, like, I wish I was your father. I wish I could like make you feel like and make you see yourself the way that you are. And then they have that the inverse of that conversation in the woods by the fire later that night
3: Mm -hmm. where
2: Gordy's doing the same thing, sort of watching them navigate that. Sort of conflict, I think, are always my favorite parts of the movie, because so much of the movie is, you know, you have the immediate threat of the greasers, the no-good hoods, but the more existential threat is, is that all that we have to look forward to? We're getting older. This is sort of a dead-end place. How are we going to get out of this? Like, you sort of see that mirrored with Teddy facing down the train and, like, playing chicken with the train, which then... What's Kiefer Sutherland's name? Is it Ace? Ace. Ace, Ace. so cool. You know, Ace goes on to do the same sort of thing. And sort of the two of them having this sort of realization of, like, we could get out of this. We don't have to be here. That sort of growing up, seeing them have those realizations
0: yeah we can dodge that train
2: we can do- yeah we can dodge the metaphorical train yeah right um or like we don't even have to get off get on the tracks we don't have to be what people expect us to be
0: Mhm. yeah i like that theme a lot of chris not wanting to be thought of as just a hooligan like his family uh, obviously his older brother eyeball uh is a is a ruffian and a hooligan and I'm not a younger sibling so I never had to go through that like oh you're so and so's younger brother you're a piece of shit it's like what I'm I'm 12 what the fuck are you talking about like the the debt like it was so devastating watching him break down because he stole that money and then gave it back and then the teacher stole it anyway and him just being like a teach like I didn't think a teacher would do that like here I was like thinking I'm just like I could be better I don't have to be a, a hooligan or a thief Like, I can rise above this, and then someone kicks me in the face, essentially, and knocks me right back down. But, like, that and Chris urging Gordy that, like, dude, you're gonna go to college. Like, you're the smartest one of all of us. You're gonna go on to be a great writer. Like, you're gonna get out of this crappy, crappy Oregon town (laughs) to do great things. And, like, we'll be stuck here, even if Gordy doesn't believe that he'll go on to great things because his dad tells him he's a piece of shit. But he thinks Chris can go on to do great things because he believes in Chris and the way they believe in each other. Like That theme of rising above your station, so to speak, is is great for these kids. Because growing up, that's a question that you have. It's like, what am I going to do? Am I just going to be stuck? Am I going to do that thing I want to do? Is this thing that I'm good at a viable career? Or am I just going to fall back and do odd jobs and maybe do a stint in prison? Mm
2: -hmm. And it does a great job of making like those, those small dramas of childhood, it gets how big they feel at the time. Mm -hmm. And like realistically, when you look at like, Chris and the milk money situation, with an adult perspective, you can look like that was just one moment you went on, you became, you went on to college, you become a lawyer, it's just this small thing. But when you're going through it as a 12 or 13 year old, you have like no perspective, but you can feel That so much is, like, kind of weighing on you and your choices at this time. Like, that pressure. It gets that.
0: I think it's like, when you're a kid, especially at, like, 12, that's a pivotal age where, like, all of a sudden you're going to go through a ton of shit in the next Mm -hmm. six years. But in 1950, when you're 12, like, you got six years to figure your shit out or you're a loser. Yeah. And you're stuck in your town. Because, like, the second you turn 18, your parents are going to kick you out or you're going to go into the military or you're going to. Try to make it on your own and end up stealing or whatever. Like if you don't have a plan, if you don't go to college, if you're not smart enough, you're hit. So you're like – time is literally ticking before your life is theoretically over to the mind of a 12-year-old. Obviously Mm -hmm. now growing up, we know, oh, no, like it's 18 is nothing. You're still just a child. You should have never been made to go out and fend for yourself and – we have all these stories nowadays of like, oh, so-and-so didn't become a bajillionaire until they were 45. You know, Harrison Ford was a carpenter till he was 30, and Oprah got fired at 40 and then became Oprah or whatever. Like, you have all these, <laughs> these things you know now, but in 1950, you would have had no fucking idea. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Yeah. And just, like, those little heartbreaks, like the shit that sticks in your craw as a kid that, like, is so hard to get over, I think it does...
1: Well Great like job. him like not crying at the funeral over his brother or something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I did feel bad for Gordy when he admitted that he didn't cry at his brother's funeral, but like, I get it, man. How could you? Like that he seems like he was his whole world. Like he was the one that, you know, tried to, to get his parents to care about Gordy and now they're gone and now all they do is miss their son, which rightfully so. I mean, losing a child must just absolutely destroy a family like that but Gordy being the one left kind of holding the emotional baggage, it seems because the parents clearly just shut down uh, yeah. in that moment. Cause it doesn't look, I what do you say? It's like April versus August.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he's just like left holding the bag. There's a sense of responsibility of like, all right, well you're it now. Like you're our only son rise to the level that your brother was, which is an unattainable thing. And then the fact that he didn't even really get the time of day before that happened. I can understand why he would have been shut down in that moment of just being like, "I don't even know how to feel like no one I guarantee you none of his parents talked to him in that moment. They were probably just dealing with their own thing and completely neglected him and left him to his own devices. So like of course, he doesn't know how to handle that um, unbelievable emotional bomb that got dropped on him, but the fact that he holds that grudge is just heartbreaking.
1: Now on the flip side of things, what were some of the more uh, funnier moments for you, Adam, did you have any? good chuckles Any he of uh, dialogue
0: i laughed at the conversation about if superman or uh, mighty mouse could beat up superman just because we just watched superman so i thought yeah. that was a funny timing thing and him being like no mighty mouse is a cartoon you idiot and superman's a real guy <laughs> And like i mean i don't know what it would have been like in the 50s but it's weird to be like no mighty mouse picked up four elephants with his bare hands and i'm like yeah but superman like saves planes and bombs and all kinds of crazy shit like it's superman dude yeah i know that he's only been around for like 15 years at this point but he's awesome just wait (laughs) (laughs) he does so many things but he is real i loved their discussion about the one girl on the mickey mouse club and whether or not she's gotten bustier based on (laughs) (laughs) based on whether the like letters on the corners of her shirt were going around the bend or not like that's just a it was just really funny to watch a bunch of kids like Almost being philosophical about how pervy they are, be like, Yes, actually I think if you look at the circumference and the change in the design of the t shirt, I'm like, stop. <laughs>
1: it's like, it's literally a roundabout way of
0: yeah. <laughs> talking
1: about it, but um yeah, I like that and even kind of right around that time that whole like what is it, what did he call it? A goocher or something with the oh, four. Yeah. Oh,
4: it's That's, a goocher, It's yeah.
1: a goocher. That's some funny shit. I like the uh is it Goofy? A dog is pretty good.
0: Oh yeah, that montage oh. of really hard hitting kid questions that are all nonsense. That was yeah. that was pretty good.
2: One food I could eat every single day, I have it: cherry Pez, without a it, question.
0: That's the poster on IMDb, at least.
2: I know. It's, it's, it's yeah, just it's, just on, such it's on a the VHS, choice. I think,
1: too. It's bizarre. It's that and like the train.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: As if Where's it was like, speed, as if it was speed or something, where you got to see the bus jump off the fucking highway. It's like. It's not really the movie, but – and that's why I bring it up because I think a lot of people, like my parents, are like, is that the movie where the kids are running from the train? It's like that's the first thing they would say.
0: Yeah. I mean, technically, yes, but there are other movies with kids running from trains, so. <laughs> right, right.
2: Yeah, but the real train they're running from is society's expectations for them.
0: That's right. right.
1: Yeah. Stay in shop class. You're going to be making ashtrays and birdhouses until you fucking die. <laughs> What do you think of the pie scene, Adam? you think it was just a completely overblown? and
0: um, part Petis- of me, I, Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, part of me thinks I, I have seen that before. There were a lot of moments in this where I'm like, have I seen this before? But I think it's just I've seen clips or it's been on or I've gotten to somebody's house and they're in the middle of it and I wasn't paying attention because I wasn't there at the start. Just like a lot of things that seemed very familiar. And most of them could have been montages of... Award shows, or you know, people talking about retrospectives and all these different things. But that was something I felt like I had seen before. And once he started the story, I was like, "Oh yeah, the guy's gonna like explode." Thinking like, "Oh, it's Stephen yeah. King. He might actually explode." Uh, and it's a fake story that this kid just made up. But so when it started, I felt like I had seen it before. But then when the vomiting started, I was like, "No, I've definitely never seen this before."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's right at home in. Like a Naked Gun movie or uh, like a Mel Brooks movie or whatever. Yeah. Um. But I like that it it lives within a universe where those rules can be bent extremely because of it's he's telling a story. You know what I yeah, mean? He's telling a, like a ridiculous story and it's a kid telling it. So.
0: Yeah, it's a kid with an active imagination making yeah. up a story with a terrible ending. Uh, <laughs> Go <goes> home <and laughs> so with cheeseburger.
2: I, yeah, I like it. He could have just ended with. Mayor Curly barked on his wife's tits. Like, yeah. <laughs> so
0: it's such yeah. So like,
2: good
0: delivery. hearing that story narration and then like seeing it play out was funny. I do usually have a hard time with the really fake, over the top vomit that like clearly is coming out of the side of the mouth.
1: Just piped out, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, it's always a little weird and takes me out of it. But again, it's a kid telling a story, so it's fun. As opposed to like, why is this? What am I watching? Why is this here? Like, it's just a fun visual way to show that like. He is a good storyteller because, you know, all we had to go on before that was, oh, Gordy, you're a good storyteller. And his brother being like, Did you hear about the story Gordy wrote? And then having it be a writer at the end. Yeah. It was nice to see a visual representation of a story he was telling that was fake. Granted, the whole movie is a story that he's telling that right. was real. Or maybe it wasn't real. Who knows? Maybe that was just another made up story.
1: I do feel like at the end when he's. <laughs> When he's finishing off the the book or whatever, it just if you read like the last few sentences, it looks like like a ten year old wrote it, <laughs> like that his ten year old self wrote like that. It's like I miss my my best friend, I'll miss him forever. It's like it's yeah, it's not like Shakespeare. It's it, it he's not Shakespearean in any way, but he's also like he's an adult that has a little more of a vocabulary. But
0: yeah, but it seems imagine. fairly elementary. Yeah, but you got to imagine this is the end of like a probably four hundred page book, three hundred page book, and he's not going to write a soliloquy at the end after you. No, sure, it's
1: sure, sure. It just it's punchier, just funny I guess. To me,
0: yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially the when he's like, Jesus, does anyone have a friend like that when they're older? Like, yeah, some people probably do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like yeah, some people make friends and they're their best friends like forever. Like that happens. You know, it it makes sense. I don't know. It seems weird that you're like Jesus. Does anyone even have a friend nowadays? Come on. (laughs) I'm too busy writing and dealing with my kid who wants to go swimming or whatever. (laughs) So yeah, that was that was kind of funny.
2: Yeah, yeah. Brian, I will say Brian watched this whole movie with me, but he was he did not catch on to the the newspaper headline at the beginning.
3: Oh okay. So like
2: at the end when River Phoenix is walking away and Richard Dreyfuss is like. He was stabbed in the throat and died instantly. He was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like, I'm, just like, I'm like, "What? Okay." So yes. he was a little put off by the ending.
0: I had to rewind it at the beginning because I was writing my note, Richard Dreyfus, uh, <laughs> and, <missed it. laughs> and then like as I looked up, I saw the newspaper on the seat, and I was like, "No, no, no!" They clearly showed what that headline was. I absolutely need to read that headline because if you, I don't, Adam. if I don't, it's gonna really it's gonna mess something up later where I'm going to miss a big grand reveal or I'm going to sit there at the end and going, What the fuck? Why are the gruesome details about your friend getting murdered in the neck? Right. That's, no. That's too far. Neck to murdered.
1: And I do think this is another case of like our family missing like the first thirty seconds to a minute of a movie, because <laughs> I don't I've seldom have seen that newspaper or even Richard Drivers show up. I always thought that he just showed up at the end. And it was a narration. So when he just popped up in the beginning, there was no narration. And I'm like, oh, god damn it, Adam's just going to know right away who it is. <laughs> As opposed to just like the voice. I mean, he's got like a pretty recognizable voice, but I laughed. I was like, oh my god, are you kidding me?
0: Yeah. Um, no, my first note is literally Richard Dreyfus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you're right. If you didn't catch the headline, and I felt like for years, I always felt like that ending was like, oof. Yeah, that's a little rough.
0: Mm-hmm. No
1: one warned me about that. It's like yeah, the the full movie did. If you had seen it, but um, it's,
0: it's funny how you thought this movie was both longer than you remember, but also shorter than you just watched because you missed like the bookends. I seen the whole movie, yeah. You missed the bookends, but then it also felt longer somehow. So like, I don't I don't know what was going on in that VHS copy. Maybe it was watched so many times it slowed down.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I watched the extended play <laughs> mode, yeah. but. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it is a rough ending, but yeah, if you don't get that in the beginning, it's a it's a huge, it's a hard pill to swallow
2: at the end. Yeah, but I don't think like when I first watched it, I probably didn't put two and two together, sort of thing. And so I think probably the first time I saw this, I was like, what? And I don't know. Yeah, that's Stephen King, baby. Rip the bandage right off.
0: If I had missed it, it definitely would, I think, I think it would have changed things a lot because I wouldn't have been so confident that they all make it through this ordeal and it easily could have turned into like a, oh, is Richard Dreyfus telling everyone about the time they went to go see a dead body and he wound it up with three dead friends? Because like that could be what this movie is. I don't fucking know. Stephen King's a weird dude. Yeah. Uh, but so but the fact that they put that in there was nice for me that I caught it because then I could at least be like, all right, if if two of them make it out, and one of them is then gruesomely murdered later in life. I don't think they're going to do that to the children here, but right. If I hadn't seen them, I, I think I would have been a lot more on edge when they were like crossing the train, or when Kiefer Sutherland showed up. I would have expected a stabbing, and you know, or them to fall off the train and hit his head on a rock or something. And you know, they got to carry on because that's what Vern would have wanted, even though he's dead, and they're going to have to. Right. Stretch or his body back too.
1: Did the newspaper say Chris's name?
0: Yeah, yeah it, it says, says Chris Chambers. It did. Okay. Yeah, it's attorney Chris Chambers. Uh, like stabbed at restaurant or that local restaurant
1: or something. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'm curious if in the short story, that was in the beginning. Like if that was a detail that they would have opened up with or if like this was screen and it's like, uh, I think we need to be getting prepare people for the end of this movie because <laughs> this is um, a little rough.
2: I, I believe it does. I was looking at, hold on, let me just pull it up. The novella is also more explicit about what happens to the other boys.
0: Or like in the future.
2: Yeah, although maybe it doesn't.
0: I feel like it would be I weird know a novella being like, and I sat there reading the newspaper about how my friend was Chris Chambers was murdered. Now, let me tell you about the time me and Chris Chambers went to go do a thing,
3: yeah,
1: because like for me, that's too much information, I think, in the beginning, yeah. like leave it, leave it to be like someone was stabbed and like, don't like area man was stabbed, you know, like don't give us the name, like leave it up to, we have three friends that he's, he's with and we don't even know, like if it's like this kid in the beginning, at least in the very beginning, but
0: yeah, like if he was reading the paper, paper, it would have been fine. But the fact that it's like perfectly folded in half and in half, like it's not a normal above the fold, below the fold. It's like above the fold and then folded again, So it's just the article is the only thing you see of that newspaper. And he just like looks at, you can see he's clearly looking at the headline and then staring off into space rather than like, he's reading the paper and we can see local attorney stabbed and we wouldn't know the name. We wouldn't assume Chris grows up to be an attorney because he's a hooligan from a hooligan family. Then, yeah, I guess that would have, that would have put more suspense and more of a guessing game as it were. But, I don't know. I, th- I think it was fine that way. It allowed me to enjoy more of the touching personal moments rather than focusing so much on external uh-huh. dread.
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure.
0: Which I think is more the point of this because like if they wanted to tell a scary external dread story they absolutely have all the pieces here. It would have been Ace trying to track them down through the woods and other people end up getting murdered and all sorts of crazy things happen. This is more just like a the the outside world stuff isn't as big a deal as the internal struggle of these kids and the dead bodies inconsequential to the journey of self-discovery, I guess. Right. Now, question for you guys who saw this at a much younger age than I. How did you feel seeing the kid as a dead body? Do you have any memories of that? No.
3: I do.
1: I have, like, the image of, like, the legs hanging out from... The perspective of when they're on the railroad track, I, mm. I have that in my head. And the reason why I bring up like the set pieces and things like that, because those are the things I remember as a kid watching this and just the heavy themes just not being something that my little brain could digest back then. It's just not something that I was maybe terribly concerned about. The more thrilling, edgier sheets uh, shit was the train and the leeches and the throwing up and all that other shit. Like, that's the stuff I took away from it as a kid. But I remember, obviously, watching as an adult the heaviest stuff uh, being more memorable. Mm. But, yeah, I don't remember the dead body being... Like, I know we talked about the Superman, like, uh, Lois, her body. Oh, yeah. But, like, that... That was, I think, and I, that I said it before in the last ep- last episode of that, but that that was like a shocker for me because I think that was the first time I was like, why? It maybe because we spent time with this body being alive for a good portion of the movie. Yeah. That I was like, what happened here? Where the other thing was like just like a dummy. Like I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really think much of it as a kid.
0: Gotcha. Well, just because I think as a as a young person. You're more likely to see a dead body when it's like a wake or a funeral, and typically that's for an older person. You don't really ever see dead kid bodies, so I wasn't sure if that was a thing that, like, stuck out to you. Being like, no, that was the first time I saw, like, a child corpse, and that scarred me, and I had nightmares. (laughs) Though I guess 12 is probably a little bit older to where that maybe wouldn't have had that kind of impact, but yeah just checking yeah because it was a very it was a very vivid dead body like they lingered there was a a couple shots that really lingered on like the eyes that had nothing there and you know like Mm -hmm. there was a lot of shots to the face they weren't shy about showing it where when they first showed up and you just see the shoes i'm like is that all we're gonna see is some you know size eight kids trainers and That's that's it. Like, that's okay. It's a dead body. They saw it. They stood over top of it. But we looked at their faces, not Ray Brower's face. So I was actually surprised that we got that much of a focus on the MacGuffin, as it were, of this story.
1: Now, as far as just like the like the scenery and the aesthetics of the movie, I mean, filmed 86. This is 50s, late, early 60s, maybe. Right. Do we know what year it is? 51. 59. Oh, 59. 59? 59. Okay. How did it feel for you to feel pretty authentic? Oh, yeah. Now that you grew up in the
0: late 50s. But... Yeah, I mean, yeah, growing up listening to doo and and yeah. uh, amongst the stacks and racks and the hottest sounds on wax, I, you know, I really, <laughs> really took me back to that time. That's why I love the 40s talk so much, is it harkens me back to my young days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was cool. It, like, like i said it like they they nailed the 50s greasers they nailed like those big boats of cars that you know those those young whippersnappers were racing in and uh you know just the fact that it was a small town you had local stores everybody knew each other like a lot of those and granted those places exist now yeah. but i don't know to me maybe it's just cuz we live in the suburbs and around major cities that that seems like a much more old fashioned concept so like watching Gordy go in and buy the hamburger meat and the sodas, and it all cost $2 or whatever ridiculous price it was. Like, that felt very 50s. The clothes obviously felt very 50s. Yeah, the soundtrack is right there, too. Oh, yeah, the soundtrack is great. It was a matter of when, not if, I was going to hear Stand By Me, if it was going to be in a pivotal moment in the movie, or if it was going to be, like, the outro, which it it was but it was just a matter of time. But all you know, all the other things, uh, Book of Love and Lollipop, <laughs> Lollipop, great song. I mean, I grew up. This is what I grew up on cause like, my oh yeah, parents, sure, yeah. My parents listened to to oldies all the time, so like, I'm super familiar with all the songs from the soundtrack and was bopping along with them. And you're right, it is they they are a lot of toe tappers. <laughs> yeah, the whole aesthetic, they you know, they got it right. They weren't the first people to nail the '50s, but. They certainly did it. And the small yeah. town feel made it feel really realistic. As opposed to something like the Goonies, where they're just in like their house for one thing, and then they're off, and you don't see any part of the town at all. Like This feels like a lived-in town. This feels like a very much realistic setting for something yeah. like this. Um, so I did enjoy that aspect of it.
1: Now, we made mention of how quickly this movie gets through itself. Did it feel rushed to you? Did it feel like a complete movie? Did you feel like there were pieces missing? Did you wish it was longer? What would you take out, if anything?
0: Uh, I mean, I would take out some of the extra scenes of the the hooligans, as I mentioned. Right, right. But, but no, I I think it was very economical with its time. I think you would replace, if I was to take that out, it would obviously be too short. I'd replace it with, again, some other kind of shenanigans. Maybe just like, in all out fun moment. I feel like there are no fun moments with the the kids. It's always like a, it's a quick 30 seconds and then they're in danger. Like even when they're, they're piling on and they're dunking each other in the water, then it's all about the leeches and like, forget it. There was no fun. Like there wasn't anything where they were just like, it's just a fun thing. Even the junkyard, which was the closest to that still ends with the dog and the guy getting all up in, um, all up in uh, Teddy's face Teddy's. about his dad And so, like, even that fun moment immediately smacks you right back down. Like, I would have liked one just wholesome, fun thing that didn't end with them getting yelled at or getting attacked or being in some kind of danger. Gotcha. But other than that, I mean, it it doesn't feel like 90 minutes. It feels probably longer. But in terms of how much you're watching, not in a a slow slog kind of felt longer. Just like I felt like I got a lot out of 89 minutes.
1: Right. And I could have watched this a lot too on T V two where they would have added forty five minutes to this. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, you're getting an extra yeah. You're taking out some of the more egregious adult themes and you're getting forty two minutes of commercials. Right.
1: What about you, Bridget? Do you feel like it's I know we talked about the length, but is it short too short, too long? Perfect length. Perfect.
2: Yeah. Doesn't need anything. It's Goldilocks. It's just right, baby. It's <laughs> perfect.
0: Yeah. It's
1: funny. It's funny, like, Rob Reiner, he makes good movies, but I can't, I wouldn't be able to peg, like, a trademark or anything of his.
0: Well, because they're also so different. I mean, like, they this, are is so nothing, different too, yeah. this is nothing like Princess Bride. It's nothing like Spinal Tap. It's nothing like When Harry Met Sally. Other than, like, there's a lot of fade to black transitions to new periods of time or different locations, which I feel like kind of is so When Harry Met Sally kind of vibe to it. But that's really it. Yeah. And that's a stretch, I think.
2: (laughs) I was reading something, though, that I thought was really interesting that I think could hold up, like when you look at his most successful films. And so Reiner said that he credits his success because the movie lives and dies off of the main four performances, right? Mm hmm. And he's like, I think I was able to make such a successful movie, and he says that Stand by Me is his personal favorite of his own movies was because I came from an acting background myself.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Like, and River Phoenix, I believe, said something similar. Oh no, it's uh, Kiefer Sutherland said because he's so proficient as an actor, he can allow you to discover a moment when, in fact, he's telling it to you. So just being able to kind of create these organic moments and pull it out of. The performers i think and you can see that in when harry met sally even something like goofy like spinal tap you know what i mean
0: yeah like and i mean he was acting as a kid like not a not as young i think as these as these kids but like
2: mm-hmm. he was
0: he was born he was in into... 47 into show business as yeah. it were uh and his like first acting credit is from 61 so i mean He was acting at 14, which is, granted, a little bit older than these kids, sure. And some of them have been in other things prior to this. But he at least has a frame of reference of like what it's like to be on a set, kind of what it takes to get the best out of kid actors, which is just keep them focused but kind of get out of their way because Mm -hmm. they're going to go off on their own thing because they're a kid and that's authentic, but just keep them guided towards the goal of the line or the theme or the you know the impact of the scene yeah
2: like i guess he had the boys like once they were casted he had them go to like camp out for two weeks just to do like improv exercises and stuff so that he'd get really comfortable i just think that sounds so fun like so wholesome i feel like you hear so much like bad stuff particularly with young actors in hollywood and this just seems like the opposite like Thank God Rob Reiner was there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, he wasn't there for all of it because I when you say bad things that happened to act like specifically actors from this movie, That's like cute. Corey Feldman has routinely talked about all of the terrible things that happened to him growing up in Hollywood and being as famous as he was. And I'm sure if he if you were to ask him, I would hope that he would be like, no, Rob was great, and I have nothing but the best experiences from my time on that. It's all the other a-holes in the industry that ruined, you know, what I liked about acting in the first place or whatever. So it's nice to hear that he tried to make it fun as well as work. So then, Bridget, would this be number two for you in his filmography?
2: I guess so, yeah. Because number one would be When Harry Met Sally.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll find someone that hasn't seen it. We'll do that <sighs> We'll do that movie here eventually. We'll get on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Why I mean, I this would... This would probably this probably wouldn't slot above any of the things I'd seen before, but only because I've seen everything everything of his that I've seen before, I've seen multiple times, whereas obviously this is a first a first run through, so it may on repeat viewings, which I probably would watch this again. I don't know if it would necessarily be on my own, but would certainly, you know, show this to other people and definitely wouldn't turn it off if I came across it. But I don't know that it would jump ahead of any of those other ones. Maybe.
2: Does it make you feel any way about future Stephen King adaptations?
0: I mean, those are always going to be... Uh, if someone tells me... If someone wants to watch it with me, I'll watch it. But I don't think I'm ever going to, on my own, be like, Ooh, I gotta go see the new this, cause it's based on Stephen King, because I just don't have... I've never read any of his stuff. I've seen movies here and there, and I know... A lot of his work is good. I, you know, I've seen some of, I know there's a Castle Rock TV show that, like, takes place in the universe of Stephen King, uh, which, you know, people had good things to say. So it would depend on the subject matter and the cast and the people involved and how, how,
2: how strongly your arm was twisted.
0: Kind of. Yeah. Someone
2: else. <laughs> One of your other
0: co-hosts. Yeah, well, like it's it's not one of those things where I don't have anything against Stephen King. We're both diehard Red Sox fans from New England, so we have that in common. Um, we've probably been to a game or two together. He didn't you know I was there. Probably sat
2: next to him. Yeah.
0: No, I definitely haven't. <laughs> his seats are way better than mine. He has more money. He's got that book money. Um, see, but
2: I don't see. I think Stephen King is very unassuming. Like you could definitely walk past him and not know. Like he buys his clothes from Walmart. Like I feel like he's in
0: the stands. Oh no, he's definitely in the stands. I know where he sits because they show him on TV every time. Oh,
2: oh, okay. (laughs) I guess maybe not.
0: Yeah. So I just know that his seats are closer to home plate than mine. But uh,
2: no, you're
1: right. You could walk past him at Home Depot and be like, "You, I wouldn't even know."
0: Exactly. Ask him where where the two by fours are. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Tell them what it's for, so he doesn't have any weird assumptions that you're gonna put it between James Conn's legs. Um, But I, so
1: you yeah, know I, that part at least.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. Like I know so much about his work because it's just it exists and it it exists outside of the medium in which it's created. So many of his stories are just they're out there. I don't have to go to the pages of the book to know things that happen in those stories. I don't have to see these films to know the things that happen because they're just they're just part of the pop culture universe, as it were. And so through osmosis, I gain a lot of that that knowledge. To anecdotally use at parties, like I said. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've never felt the need to necessarily see a a King adaptation in the past. I don't know that that'll change with this. But I don't have anything against him or his work. It seems like even the movies he hates, people still love. Like, people love The Shining, even if he thinks it's a bad adaptation. Like, it's still Mm -hmm. a good movie. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it would really depend on the circumstances I don't have I don't hold any kind of grudge or like a line in the sand, I will not, that this could have changed. It's just like a, eh, it's they're not usually for me, and that's fine, but I hear good things. <laughs> I would tell people to watch this though. I think this was something where I could evangelize this. Like, no, you should see it. It's a good movie. Like the mm-hmm. the cast of young actors is all great, and like the themes are wonderful, and it's just like a it's brisk, so you don't have to sit through a three-hour epic. It's just, go watch it.
1: Now, quickly, you've obviously seen The Sandlot. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie borrowed a lot from this, pretty heavily.
0: Yeah, I think that was my reference point on the before part about the yeah. movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got the the dog that's perceived to be, like, huge, oh, yeah. not huge. You got the, you know, this is what happened to them after they never saw them again yeah like my favorite one in sandlot it's like he got real into the 60s and no one ever saw him again like i (laughs) love that shit (laughs) so yeah a lot of that stuff going on and that's why maybe i enjoy because i don't know which one i would have saw first to be honest with you as a kid i don't wouldn't sandlot come out 91 or something like that
0: yeah probably around there probably early 90s
1: yeah i probably would have saw both around the same time
0: 1993. Okay. So I would hope you did not see them around the same time. I would hope that you saw Stand By Me a little bit later than 7. <laughs> yeah, I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows with me anymore. Yeah, right. But cool. Do you guys want to go over anything else? Any notes you had?
0: The only other note that I have that we didn't touch on was, I don't remember if it was one of the kids that says it or the junkyard operator that says it. I think it's the kids when he's about his dad being a loony and i think it was teddy was like i'm gonna rip off your head and shit down your neck
2: yeah he does
0: yeah that was was quite a, a crazy line in a crazy sequence like whatever call the kids out for being pieces of shit tell them you're gonna call their parents or whatever but like don't fucking dig in on the kid's dad who is a war veteran and isn't all there still like that's fucked up man right like i know the kid's acting like a piece of shit and he's in your junkyard but they haven't stolen anything. They haven't touched anything. Like, just let them go. <laughs> Threaten to call their parents. That'll put the fear of god into them or whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah. See, but that to me is like a king hallmark of you know he's great at you know creating these fantastical scary monsters like Pennywise or you know these more supernatural scary things. But he also is just really good at writing realistic dirtbags like just real psycho mm-hmm. sociopaths and like the. Most hurtful thing you can imagine being yeah. said to you and how you deal with that? Crying. Crying. Oh, wow. <laughs> Crying. And then, <laughs> oh, this is a line that breaks my heart. I, like, Corey Feldman delivers it really well. Just like, I'm sorry, I'm ruining everyone's good time. Oh. Like, which is such, like, because you, like, yeah. I feel like we can all remember being at that point as like a kid or something, like on a family vacation or something. Like,
0: like, look what like, you did, you little jerks! Jerk. Yeah. I'm
2: sorry, I'm, ruined. I'm like, ruining things. Like you're ah, just.
0: Yeah, some people have that well into adulthood. That doesn't go away. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Dude, yeah. I'll really really show myself
0: recently. out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely telling on myself here, but that does not go away. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just think you're ruining everyone's time, even when no one even noticed you did a thing that could have ruined a time. Right. <laughs> Like, What you did, what no, never mind if you didn't see it. No, I didn't do anything. Sorry so I... about it. Just, I'm just sorry. Just know that if yeah. you do decide to figure that out, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> As you smile on the drive, the drive home,
0: yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> one little bit of trivia Rob Reiner was not originally supposed to direct this movie, a director named Adrian Lynn was.
3: I don't but... know that name. Um,
2: that sounds familiar. He had to drop out because he was taking too long shooting nine and a half weeks.
0: Oh, okay. I've never so, seen that, but I, that's at least a movie that I've heard. Oh, he did. A, he directed Unfaithful, which I think I mentioned when we did uh, one of those uh, movies. We did. No,
4: yeah.
0: I'm thinking Noir November. Oh, Lolita, yeah. Jacob's Ladder, Fatal Attraction. Oh God, he would have been a horrible
1: choice for this fucking
0: movie. Flashdance. Yeah. Like, Dance. yeah. Kind of all over the place.
2: Yeah. And like nine and a half weeks makes Basic Instinct look like an episode of Sesame Street. Like, let's <laughs> yeah. just put it that way. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad it ran over because I think the darkest timeline is the one where Adrian Lynn directs Stand By Me.
0: <clears throat> it is pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you would have gotten the same performances. I think it would have been a lot more dour and a lot less of a it's not uplifting but like it's it would there would have been no moments of levity and it would have just been kind of
2: mm-hmm. the heavy themes would have tipped it into like just grim
0: yeah it's like can, I, can we please just not bat me over the head for 90 minutes with how awful the world is like please yeah can the kids laugh at something or like hawk at least like can we... <laughs>
2: <laughs> this movie right. also just reminds you of stuff that like you used to do as a kid but, like, you don't do anymore. Like, I was thinking to myself, when was the last time I took a, a sip of water and then spit it out into another container? <laughs> I should do that more often.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do want to uh slam a mailbox with a baseball bat with no consequence. <laughs> just once.
0: Don't aim for the wood ones. That's how you get out in Yeah. mailbox baseball. That's always a thing I've seen that, like, that's what hooligans did back in the day. It just seems exhausting. Like. Granted, I did my fair share of vehicular destruction as a youngin', but it was always inno- more innocent than destroying someone's mailbox. Seems Yeah, it wasn't a federal offense. <laughs> no, that's true. At least I don't think it was. I hope it wasn't. Statue of limitations is up though, so I think
3: I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Well, Johnny, anything else from you that you wanted to go over?
1: No. Uh we'll always charge this movie it's always uh, a good time and a bad time, but in a good way and uh, great performances. Really wish River Phoenix was still around. It would have been cool to see what he would have gave us since his passing, which I don't even know. What was that? 96 or five or something like that. His brothers gave us a lot of good performances, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of creepy ones, but I enjoy his work. So it would have been fun to maybe see them together in a movie, but yeah.
0: Yeah. It looks like 93.
3: Yeah. So. Too young.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, that'll do it then for this week's episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. Remember, you can find every episode of Fine, I'll Watch It every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. Remember, you can also rate the show in-app on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so you let us know what you think of the show. We greatly appreciate it, as we greatly appreciate everyone who listens. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. So let us know what you think of Stephen King movies, uh, Stephen King books, what you think of Stand By Me, what are some of your favorite Rob Reiner films? Let us know on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pod. Uh, But once again, for Fine I'll Watch It, my name is Adam. I'm Johnny. And I'm Bridget. And thanks so much for listening.